to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Today we will be joined by Rosalie Gillis-Madden to discuss the On-Farm Climate Action Fund, also known as OFCAF. Rosie has a BSc from McGill University, has been a certified crop advisor since 2010, and a professional agrologist with the Nova Scotia Institute of Agrologists since 2014. She completed her MSc at Dalhousie University in 2015, where she studied the nitrogen dynamics of novel green manures in eastern Canada. Rosie has worked with Perennia Food and Agriculture, Inc. for seven years as the vegetable specialist and has recently been seconded to the technical project manager for the OFCAF program. She is passionate about sequestering carbon and reducing greenhouse gas emissions and brings over a dozen years of applied agricultural experience to the table to assist farmers in developing new, more sustainable practices. Rosie's strengths are in applied research, soil science, written and oral communication and extension education. She worked to support farmers and strives to enable informed decisions about best management practices that are suitable to each farm and business model. Rosie has written over 100 journal articles, technical bulletins, and fact sheets, and research reports, as well as starred and produced several instructional YouTube videos. Rosie, thanks very much for being with us today. My absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for the invite, Brad. Before we get too far in, I think there's been a lot of uh, recent announcements uh, related to uh, climate adaptation in agriculture. I think that's very exciting. I know we did a recent podcast um, with Carolyn Marshall from the Federation talking about the Living Labs program and how that might help producers address climate uh, change challenges. And recently, um, the, the government of uh, Canada has announced the, the OFCAF program, the On-Farm Climate Adaptation Programs. And, and very exciting, Perennia will be the administrator of that program in Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, so that's always good to see. So maybe we can start a little bit about what the OFCAF program is and your interpretation or your understanding of how it actually differentiates a little bit from the Living Labs program. Sure. Great question, Brad. I think of the Living Labs program and the On-Farm Climate Action Fund as kind of being like sisters. So Living Labs is trying to answer some of the research questions around uh, how we can sequester more carbon and reduce greenhouse gases on farms, whereas OFCAF is about funding farmers to implement best management practices that we know are going to make a difference. OFCAF specifically funds uh, three best management practices, so nitrogen management, cover cropping, and rotational grazing. And so there's very specific subsections of these three BMPs uh, that OFCAF funds. And this is a national program, so these are, are national uh, categories, so they weren't necessarily ones that we came up with. But it'd be things like improving nutrient use efficiency, for example, is, is a big one under the nitrogen management. So reducing volatilization from manure is an example, or doing split applications of your fertilizer using urease and nitrification inhibitors. Um, and then for rotational grazing, it's just about normalizing it and getting increased adoption, so funding for for fencing, for uh, remote waters, if they are powered by renewable energy, that sort of thing. So there's kind of three legs of the OFCAF program. There's three BMPs and there's kind of three legs of it. The biggest leg is 
direct funding to farmers. And then there's also going to be a lot of programming around it too. On-farm demos, workshops, webinars, YouTube videos. We've even said that we're going to start a podcast, which uh, we're going to probably bring you on as a guest, Brad, so prepare yourself. And, uh, and so that's training for both farmers and for agronomists so that agronomists can support farmers to do these BMPs. Excellent. And I, and I know there's been a lot of farmers, especially the cattle folks that I work with and the sheep folks that are very interested because rotational grazing and cover cropping is so important in pasture management to their overall production systems. And I think simply the fact too, that we have a greater understanding or acceptance or focus on those pasture practices that a certain portion of the industry is already doing and encouraging more to do. Back a little bit to a high level. So when I read the Egg Canada press release, I see that there's $8.5 million allocated to activities uh, that you've outlined in Nova Scotia and Newfoundland. Can you give us just a really high level update or breakdown of how that funding is to be used over the length of the program? Sure. So it's only a two-year program. So um, all of this money needs to be spent uh, between now and March 2024. And so the vast majority of it is going directly to farmers. So that's about $6 million. And then the rest of that money is for training, on-farm demos, that sort of thing. And then also to administer the program, which is, I'm learning more and more how complex that is. (laughs) Excellent. So when we talk again, about the specific rotational grazing thing. And I think that's probably where the majority of our constituents would be interested. So if we look at, um, I call it market penetration of the folks that are already doing that, it's probably about 10% of the producers and probably somewhere around 20% of the cattle in Nova Scotia. And, and that's just an estimate. And, and some would say this is not a new practice, right? The Scots have been doing it since the mid 1700s. And we've had program in the past to encourage this. So I guess my question is what makes it different this time? And how do we expect the adoption to actually increase and maintain itself beyond what it's done over the last 230 or 40 years? <laughs> yeah, it's quite the timeline uh, for rotational grazing for sure. And that's actually um, some of the feedback that we've had from some of the um, the industry organizations is that rotational grazing is a BMP that has been promoted for decades and and what's the barriers to adoption and some of the barriers to adoption are are simple infrastructure needs so like fencing is expensive and that kind of thing but also it's a huge time thing uh and unfortunately some of the things off calf can't address and some of the things off calf can't address so like you know having to go out and move your cows every few days like that's not necessarily something that off calf can address but we can work on the fencing and we can work on renovating the pastures to have higher quality feed and that sort of thing Definitely. And I think it's definitely that time one that is the bigger struggle, especially if you look at the demographic or the structural of the cattle and sheep industry here in the region. Uh, We have a lot of farmers who are working off farm. So those time consuming things are often a bit more challenging uh, than somebody's at the farm full time, which leads me into kind of a a question. And it's maybe a, a specific activity within the program. So we do see a lot of new fencing technologies specifically to help with that rotational grazing, whether it's some of the systems that auto uh, move fences on a reel. Um, I know there's a producer in Nova Scotia that's kind of investigated wireless fencing. So it's very similar to a dog collar, uh, but for cattle, how are we going to incorporate those things? And then back to your education and awareness, how do we share that experience and effectiveness of those technologies because those might be the ones that actually 
improve the overall uptake of the rotational grazing um, practice. Yeah, exactly. And um, one of the things that's emphasized in the off-calf program is peer-to-peer learning. So, you know, you can have an agronomist like me stand up on a soapbox, tell you um, this thing is great, but uh, really it's seeing your neighbors do the thing uh, and hearing about their experiences. And that's really how adoption and change is kind of driven. And so that's why a large part of this program is about on-farm demonstrations and and peer-to-peer learning. And so, uh, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we might be able to go and visit some of those farms so that more producers can kind of see some of the stuff in action. Excellent. And so I, I know I've kind of focused a little bit on the livestock sector a little bit, but how do crop producers or horticultural producers or tree fruit producers participate? Obviously, probably more so on the nitrogen management and maybe not so much on the, well, I guess a little bit on the cover cropping, but not so much around the rotational grazing. Yes. So nitrogen management hits most of your field crops, but your hort crops as well. Everybody needs a cover crop. That's kind of my stance on the matter. Um, so it's just about uh, increasing adoption and trying to figure out how those fit into those rotations. Um, and that's one of the things that the Living Labs project with NSFA is really kind of helping try and figure that out a little bit. And so we've been working with them on, on some of the research projects around that, on how to get those cover crops into a rotation. Excellent. And You know, I think that's one of the things is the collaboration from talking with Carolyn on the Living Labs, and I know how collaborative both the Federation and Perennia are in general. So I think that that cross collaboration between not only the organizations, but the programs is going to be really important to the success overall. So then the other question I have is how do commodity organizations like ours help in particularly the knowledge tech transfer communications in sharing that and partnering so that, you know, not only are producers educated, but we can become more aware of the practices and, and how to transfer that knowledge and how to access the resources. Uh, great question, Brad. So currently we have a survey that's open for uh, agronomists to take to say, these are the resources that I need to further my education so that I can support producers. And so we are, and then in the coming days, we are also going to be launching a survey for producers so that they can have input on what kind of training they need. There's a, you know, there's always the training that I have in my head that I think people need to hear or need to see, but then uh, that's usually influenced by conversations with farmers, but allowing farmers to kind of voice the piece of the puzzle that they are missing so that we can direct resources to try and further their goals. Here are upcoming events brought to you by Dalhousie University Faculty of Agriculture. Dalhousie's Faculty of Agriculture is educating the next generation of farmers. Our students learn to solve real-world problems in a friendly, hands-on environment from professors who are leaders in their fields of study. Dal researchers have access to cutting-edge technology, labs, and resources. Whether it's applying genetics to improve livestock, working with producers to engineer more efficient blueberry harvesters, or designing smarter Christmas trees, Dal Agriculture is driving the innovation that makes our farming community stronger. Learn more. Visit dal.ca slash agriculture. Perennia is hosting a compost and cover crops tailgate meeting on July 11th from 1 to 3 p.m. in Barris Corner. For additional information or to register, please visit perennia.ca. The Maritime Beef Council will be hosting their annual forage field day on August 3rd at the Nepean Research Farm and are also preparing for the upcoming Maritime Beef Conference occurring October 22nd in Moncton, New Brunswick. Please visit maritimebeef.ca for more information on both of these events. In upcoming 
Feeder sales will once again occur with the regular scheduled sale once a month through the summer. The next one happening Thursday, July 14th at 10 a.m. Please check AtlanticStockyards.com for a full sale schedule and booking information. In programs, the Nova Scotia cattle producers have two programs available for 2022. The Nova Scotia Genetic Improvement Program and the Nova Scotia Soil Pasture and Forage Management Program. Both programs have an application deadline of November 30th. Additional information can be found at nscattle.ca. There are many Nova Scotia programs open for 2022, such as the Cattle and Sheep Industry Development Program and the Wildlife Mitigation Program. For a complete list of programs, as well as applications and guidelines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. So I'm going to focus a little bit on Newfoundland. I know I know we don't do much work in Newfoundland, but I, I definitely understand that their entire farm climate is different. Their physical environmental climate is a lot different. So how do you anticipate or will there be different adoptions on farm there versus here on the mainland? Or is that yet to be seen? It's a bit yet to be seen, but we're working closely with some of the industry groups in Newfoundland. I was over there in May and I'm going over there again at the end of the month just to engage with producers and to hear more about their climate there and their experiences. Because, you know, I'm, I haven't worked in Newfoundland. I've never lived in Newfoundland. I was there for the first time a few weeks ago, actually. So it's about figuring out where they're at, where they want to go and how we can support them in getting there. Yeah, and, and it's not just their climate, like their entire industry structure is a little bit different. Obviously, it's very concentrated in specific pockets of the province. Uh, the scale of their production is quite a bit different. Their soil conditions where it exists are quite a bit different, I think. Um, so I think those are all really things. And I think that's one of the interesting things that I'm hoping that we can cross share the learnings from both of those provinces as we move forward, because we will learn things that are applicable in both. That's very true, very true. And one of the, the things that we are hoping to bring forth with the OFCAF program as part of this peer-to-peer -peer learning is just kind of uh, showcasing producer stories. And so, you know, little YouTube videos of a farmer where they just talk about their experiences with uh, rotational grazing or talk about their experiences with cover cropping uh, so that other producers can kind of hear what other guys are doing, even if you can't go to an on-farm demo. You know, if it's a little too far away or, you know, you have too much else going on on the farm to, uh, to be able to make the time. So I'm going to stick around the, the collaborative approach a little bit. So, you know, when I, again, when I cruise through the website, I see that Cross Canada CFGA is going to be doing some work in New Brunswick, the Soil and Crop Association. Are there any plans to do joint projects, especially around that KTT there as well, even though you're not the administrator in those provinces? Yes, we've been uh, talking quite a bit with our fellows in the Atlantic provinces. So uh, the New Brunswick Soil and Crop Institute and the PEI Federation, we've been talking to them about, you know, how their program is rolling out because we want to make sure that there is fairly uniform program rollout for like funding for different practices um, in the Atlantic region because we're so close. And then we've been talking about sharing some resources for some of the KTT stuff. So we're still kind of hammering that out, but hopefully there'll be some really fun and exciting things uh, in the next couple of years. And then maybe my last question for collaboration now, we'll move on to a different topic, is obviously Ag Canada. So they have production specialists, whether it's forage or animal related or, or crop related. They also have folks that are dedicated to, to KTT as well. So how will they be incorporated in some of the KTT stuff or some of the actual on-farm implementation projects as well? Um, we've been we've been engaging with uh, some of the folks from AAFC on some of these BMPs. So 
you know, the point of OFCAF is really all about demonstration and not about research, right? And so mm -hmm. uh, if Icanda has some practices that they really feel like they want to demonstrate, you know, there's some really cool cover cropping work being done on, on PEI, for example. It's This is an opportunity to kind of highlight some of those things and some of those best management practices that some of that research has been going into it and kind of share that knowledge with industry in, in general. So when I, I look at the objectives, there are a couple of sub-objectives as well, like you mentioned, and it talks about biodiversity and soil health, are there going to be project eligible costs or are there going to be specific activities that address those or will they be, you know, secondary outcomes based on those projects or primary projects? Yeah, things like increased biodiversity kind of just comes with some of these practices. So like increasing legumes in your rotation, cover crops, rotational grazing, like these sort of things just kind of promote biodiversity. So they're not necessarily outcomes, they're kind of co-benefits, things that we expect to be happening congruently with some of the, the implementation of these BMPs. And to me, soil health and soil carbon, they're, they're hand in hand, right? So the focus of OFCAF is carbon sequestration in the soil and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So more carbon you have in the soil, basically your soil health follows that pretty, uh, pretty linearly. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I talked to Carolyn as well, I know that, you know, carbon sequestration and greenhouse gas mitigation is a big part of that. But we also had a discussion pretty much the exact same way. If, if you're improving those primary practices, you're going to see a lot of other things that are proved along the way as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're best management practices for so many reasons, right? Yeah. So uh, as an economist, I always like to look at the dollar and cents of some of these activities and just wondering, you know, how outside of the funding, how we'll track the financial benefit of these new improved or adopted BMP practices and whether or not there'll be a requirement for producers to do either partial budgeting or break-even analysis on the, the activities as well. Like long-term return on investment, you mean? Yeah, or, or even short-term, look at just maybe the pasture rotation stuff. So you say, okay, uh, a new energizer, some cross-fencing is going to cost me seven, $8,000, but it means that you know I can actually move my cattle every three days, get my five weeks of rest in, and look at the actual gain on those animals. So there are going to be other metrics around growth rates in cattle, uh, maybe around productivity of crops with that, or will it just primarily be, we're going to adopt this and see how it goes? <laughs> More or less, we're going to adopt this and see how it goes. Like um, a lot of these yeah. best management practices do have economics tied to them more or less. And, and part of the KTT part, we'll talk about economics a little bit, but asking farmers to track significant economic gains over the uh, over the course of the the projects that they implement on their farm uh, isn't really the focus of this program and and honestly would probably be burdensome to a lot of farms to track that yeah D definitely and i think part of the challenge too is you know you have to have baseline data to be able to track your progress so without some of that and i think you know that's maybe one of the other things in the living labs part is you know, the first little bit is establishing some of those baseline. You do the research and see what it looks like at the end where this one, it's a two-year program. There's not a lot of time to establish baselines and measure improvements. And you're right. We know that through history that a lot of those economic gains and those other improvements are there. 
Exactly. Yeah. And CFGA has been working with Farmers for Climate Solutions, specifically on rotational grazing and getting some good economics around that as part of their KTT through the farms program. So that's outside of OFCAF, but it's it's an excellent resource. And, and so there's some good economic data there that farmers can tap into. So Rosa, the other thing that we hear a lot from producers is the actual funding application process itself. I know you folks are just in the process of getting things rolled out. It's June 15th as we record. Um, but what will the actual application process look? What are the general service standards around approval of funding and then the implementation timeline producers will have to be able to get everything done? Those are great questions. So the application process, there's an initial pre-screening because we don't want producers to waste their time putting in a big, long application if they're not eligible. More or less, you need to be like over the age of 18, able to sign a contract, be a registered farm, have proof of farming income, or have a business plan if you're a newer entrant and that kind of thing. So there's that pre-screening process, which kind of just gives you the green light to go through the fuller application. And then the fuller application, it is a little bit involved because you kind of need to map out what projects you want to do and put together a budget for that. And so we're calling them projects. So it's kind of like for nitrogen management, you could put in a couple of projects there and each project could be, you know, split application on field A, split application on field B, as simple as that, or it could be a little bit more involved. And we're encouraging producers to put in as many projects under as many BMPs as, as they want. So there is funding caps based on farming income, but the maximum that a farm can apply for would be $75,000 over the course of the project. Yeah, I was gonna say, so that definitely sounds like it's a significant amount of funding as long as the eligibility requirements are met and as long as it matches up with the scale of the farm operation itself, it sounds like. Exactly, yeah. We wanna be able to support producers in moving forward. You know, As for how long they would be, once they put in their application, how long uh, until they hear back. So once you put in your application, you should hear, hey, we got it. You know, We received your application within a couple of business days. And then within 21 business days, you should hear approval on whether or not your project has been, has been approved. And then our funding pools are broken up by fiscal year. You know, that's how our funding is allotted is by between now and the end of March 2023 and between April 1, 2023 and March 2024. But a farmer can put in an application now for both years if they want. Here's the Mercury Report brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. For the weekend at July 1st, 2022, in the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $2.69 per kilogram, up 5.6 cents from last week. And Ontario base price was up 5.6 cents from last week to a price of $2.60 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was $2.26 per kilogram, up 8.1 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price Atlantic beef products was flat at $3.13 per pound on the rail. And Ontario live steers sold for $1.89, flat from last week. And in Quebec, rail price was $3.12, down one cent from last week. 
called Cat Atlantic Stockyard, sold for $1.14, a downward change of $0.07 cents from last week, while real price Atlantic beef products was $1.95, down $0.05 cents from last week. Calls in Ontario averaged $1.10, up $0.02 cents from the prior week, and $0.96 cents in Quebec, moving up $0.04 cents from last week. Good dairy bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds Atlantic stockyards average $163 down $60. And good dairy beef bob calves average $220 down $114 from last week. Meanwhile, calves in Ontario were down five cents to a price of $2.71 per pound, and calves in Quebec were $3.06, an increase of four cents per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland sits at $15 per kilogram, and mutton is at $6.50 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average $2.34 per pound at 56 pounds, ranging from 225 to 250. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs average $3 per pound at 59 pounds, ranging from $2 to $3.70. For 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, they average $2.50 per pound at 69 pounds, ranging from $2.50 to $2.65. In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs average 301 per pound at 71 pounds, ranging from 225 to 380. Use at Atlantic Stockyards average $190, and in Ontario, use averaged $1.38 at 143 pounds and ranged from 47 cents to $3.10. Yeah, so then I guess the other question too is we, I've heard from some farmers who have already started some activities for this year obviously because if you're going to do anything grazing related you're probably going to want to try to get it ready before may long weekend which is our primary turnout date so will some of those activities that may have already happened to be eligible or will it be post-approval activities only great question that's true for everything right like all of your fertility stuff would have probably happened right around planting and here we are yeah. in june and that's and that's unfortunate that was just the timeline with getting everything signed with the federal government and it just took longer than I think anybody really expected. But you will be able to put in for a project and backdate it all the way to February 7th when what? we received funding approval. Yeah, so I think that's good news. And knowing that, you know, a lot of that activity actually happens in the spring, I think that will satisfy a lot of the producers who have done uh, either those fertility activities or, or some of the fencing activities as well. Just uh, make sure you've kept your receipts, right? Like, yeah, yeah, keep which them is for true. your account anyway. Activity. Yeah, <laughs> for for sure. So, I I guess the next kind of area I'd like to to cover is we haven't talked much about horticulture, and I know that really part of that nitrogen bit is is really a nitrogen management is going to be probably more so important for them than it might be for our livestock friends. So, can you give us an example? I know you've talked about split fertilizer rates and some of those other things, but, you know, your background is in uh, as a certified crop advisor and around vegetable production. So what type of projects do you expect to see coming out of those horticulture or fruit sectors as kind of the primary fundamental projects that might happen? Yeah, my uh, experience with perennia is in vegetables, but I used to work for the University of Vermont Extension, where I worked with the livestock industry there and the dairy industry there. So, you know, it's nice to be back with the cows again, Brad, I gotta say. Um, it's, it's great to have you back. Thank you. <laughs> um, so in terms of like projects that could be put forth by like the horticulture industry, for example, uh, split applications for sure, banding fertilizer, and this is true for corn as well. But really the whole point of nitrogen management is that you want the fertilizer there when the crop needs it. And the crop doesn't need it when it's really small. It's about getting it there 
you know, as that crop matures, as it puts on biomass, as it starts to create, you know, protein. And so, so that's what a split application is. You put in a little bit up front to get the plant going and then the rest of it when the plant actually needs it. And that's true in vegetable and, and crops as well. So yeah, so lots of uptake there from the nitrogen management side of things, but also from cover cropping. Like horticulture production is often very hard on soils because you're not returning a lot of organic matter to the soils. Often there's quite a bit of tillage to prepare a good seed bed. And so we're expecting good uptake on cover crop stuff too. For sure. And again, when we talk cover crops too, especially if it ends up being turned over as a bit of a green fertilizer, you talk a lot or we get back to those secondary biodiversity and soil health components as well. So, you know, back again to your point is, you know, we have three primary objectives, but we're actually going to accomplish a lot more things as well. So the next string is I want to talk a little bit more about the social science and um, maybe the public perception of agriculture. And again, I think both through this program and the Living Labs program, I think it actually gives us, as the farm community, a lot more tools and examples that we can present to consumers and the public about all of the very positive things we're doing around soil management, biodiversity management, and making sure that we are protecting the environment and we are great stewards of the land. Yeah, it's a, I know this is a podcast, but I'm nodding emphatically as you say this, Brad. <laughs> yeah, farmers are great stewards of the land. And I think we've kind of been given a bit of a raw deal um, by public perception that that agriculture isn't good for the environment. Agriculture can be great for the environment, like, you know, using soil as a carbon sink, building soil organic matter. It's a great practice for the farm's bottom line, but it's also a great practice for uh, mitigating the effects of climate change. And you know, having beef on pasture, you know, like oftentimes that's marginal land that can't be used for cropping. Uh, and so it's a great use to have it for grazing, right? And so I think hopefully with the public seeing all of these great strides that we're making and being more sustainable, um, I, I, um, hopefully the public perception will change. Yeah. And we always talk about having as many arrows in our quiver as we can. And I think the more we focus on this, and I know that other sectors like the cattle industry have participated in the climate adaptation leadership program as well, because there is a significant public policy focus on the environment, environmental approval, climate change, and how we play an important role in all of those things. So it's good to see that all of the things are actually being addressed again together. So, so Rosa, the other question I have, and when you talk about eligibility is, you know, I've already said or talked about the fact that we probably have 10% of producers that are already doing things like rotational grazing. So how do we look at the eligibility of those existing practices versus what's the requirement for a new practice? Right. So that's a point that I'm really glad you brought up, Brad. So off-calf is all about sequestering more carbon and reducing greenhouse gases more. So if you are already doing some of these best management practices, you're not necessarily eligible for some of this funding. But if you have, say, one large paddock that you want to split into two, that would be eligible. You are already doing some cover cropping um, on maybe 50 acres and you want to now do cover cropping on 75 acres. Those extra 25 acres are eligible for funding. That original 50 acres is not necessarily eligible for funding unless you're doing a new practice. So say you've only been doing winter rye and now you want to try a multi-species mix. Well, then those acres would then be eligible. So it's just about moving the bar forward in sequestering more carbon and reducing greenhouse gases. So I think that's very positive, right? So now those producers who are already started those BMPs, as long as they're furthering them, I, I think that will encourage them to continue their, their carbon sequestration and their practice as well. So I, I think that's important. 
yeah, they're not and, completely shut out of the program. Exactly. Yeah. And, and for some of the stuff, like even, even a very good grazier, you know, there's probably a field or two that could have improved forage stands. So uh, one of the emphasis of off-calf is uh, high quality forage because that reduces um, greenhouse gas emissions from cows. Right. Uh, so maybe you have a pasture that's a little bit run down and it needs to be reseeded. Well, that would be an eligible expense under, under off-calf. So whereas I've taken a lot of your time today, I definitely appreciate it. Is there anything else we should know as the program gets launched in the next week or so? And if not, you know, how do producers, particularly in Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, get more information? How do they contact Frenia about the program and how to participate? Uh, well, you can go in and visit our website. That would be the best place. So that's offcaf.perennia.ca. So O-F-C-A-F.perennia.ca. P-E-R-E-N-N-I-A dot C-A. And so with program launch happening on June 15th, you know, you can go right on in and, and fill out that pre-screening. Uh, and then, of course, if you follow Perennia on social media, um, we'll be posting a lot of stuff about OFCAF in the coming years. Yeah. And there should be also a, a contact me uh, button on the OFCAF website, too, so that you can subscribe to hear more information. So with that, I definitely want to thank you for taking your time. And uh, we look forward to maybe doing a midterm uh, update, maybe in the fall and talk about some of the initial projects at a high level that have been practiced over the summer. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch. That sounds fantastic. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Brad. Thank you. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime Agcast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.